Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that in this place, as your children have gathered together, we can invite your presence. And Lord, you've promised in your word that if we ask for your Holy Spirit, you will send it. And so, Lord, we know that you're here with us. And I just ask you humbly now, Lord, that you would please anoint my lips with a coal from your altar, that you would hide me behind your cross and that Jesus Christ would be seen. Lord, because this has less to do with me and more to do with Jesus and his power. It's his book, I'm Just the Pages. And so, Lord, help me to have ears to hear your spirit and words to speak your words. And help everyone here to have ears also to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when I share my testimony, I always start from the very beginning. Because I believe that there were experiences that happened for me very early on in my life that paved the way for a lot of other things that would come. And as I was coming into the world, my parents were struggling in their relationship. They weren't expecting to have another child, and I was a surprise. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was very loved. I was a very happy baby. And my mom says that she remembers of my character that music was a big part of my joy, a big part of my experience. I loved music. And unfortunately, the music that came into our home was not of a heavenly type of um, atmosphere, a heavenly spirit. It was from the world, through the radio and television, Hollywood movies, that kind of a thing. So we had an abundance of the world available in our home, and it wasn't a Christian home. So I didn't have Jesus there to pattern after. Instead, I was patterning after the world, and this was what was building my character. Now, I want to share with you a quote from the book Appeal to Mothers. Now, as I share my testimony, I'm going to be focusing or expressing my journey uh, through sexuality. I think that this is sort of taboo in our churches and to a lot of uh, the conservative environments. We don't really talk about sex, right? But I think that this is a topic that needs to be addressed because if our young people aren't receiving information from, from us, from the church, then the world is the only place they're getting their information. And what a scary thing that is, right? So I'm going to be talking about that this morning. And I'll start by sharing this quote, Appeal to Mothers, found on page 11. It says, Mothers, you cannot be too careful in preventing your children from learning low habits. It is easier to learn evil than to eradicate it after it is learned. So it's a lot easier to learn how to sin than to learn how to stop sinning once we've been there, right? Neighbors may permit their children to come to your house to spend the evening and the night with your children, but she says here is a trial and a choice for you. To run the risk of offending your neighbors by sending their children to their own home or gratify them, and let them lodge with your children, and thus expose them, meaning your children, to be instructed in that knowledge which would be a lifelong curse to them. Now, if you look at this quote contextually, the way that it's found in the context of the chapter, you'll see that this curse here that she's talking about is the curse of self-abuse. 
Now, that's kind of an old term that we don't necessarily use a lot today. The medical term that we use today is masturbation. Unfortunately, my mom didn't know this counsel, and I was permitted to have frequent sleepovers when I was younger, and this very curse came into my life through this very avenue. How important it is for us to read and learn from the spirit of prophecy and from the Bible so that we can walk in the way that God is directing us. My parents separated when I was six years old. My mother, my siblings, and I moved into a low-income housing development. And it was there that a young girl lived down the street. She was my same age, and she was being sexually abused by someone. So she was learning things about her body that she should not have known. And so, as a result of her sharing that knowledge with me, I also was learning things about my body that I should not have known. So I was only seven years old when I started to have sexual interactions with the same sex, and masturbation soon became an addiction for me. This was a stronghold in my life for many, many years until the Lord gave me victory. A couple years later, I was actually baptized. I had been attending church infrequently with a family friend, and the pastor sat us down and asked us if we wanted to be baptized, and we were. But I wasn't making a commitment to Jesus. I just thought that's what you do when you love Jesus, so I was baptized. I knew that Christians were good people, and I wanted to be a good person, so I started making some promises to myself. I had learned a little bit about sexual purity, so I promised myself I wanted to stay a virgin until I was married. And I wanted to abstain from all drugs and alcohol because I'd seen the way that those things had played a part in my parents' struggle in their marriage and their separation. But it didn't take very long for me to start to realize that there was this deep chasm between the person that I wanted to be and the person that I naturally was. It didn't take very long for me to start breaking those promises that I made to myself because our promises and our resolutions are just like ropes of sand, right? They're nothing that we can cling onto or grab onto. And this was my experience because I could not control my thoughts or my impulses or my affections. And so I started very young in my early teenage years not only to have these sexual experiences with these girls because it had happened not only with that first girl but many other girls as the years uh, went on, but I also started to have sexual interactions with the boys too because why is it a big deal to share it with them if I've been sharing it with these other girls for so many years? And this for me was uh, creating a struggle as I was breaking the promises that I wanted to keep to myself. And, um, you know, I started to really struggle with depression. I started to um, dislike myself. And I started to blame God because I couldn't be who I wanted to be. I couldn't be what the Bible told me to be, so I got angry at God. I, I blamed him for it. There's a quote in The Great Controversy. It's found on page... 525, and it says that it is a law, both of the intellectual and of the spiritual nature, that by beholding we become changed. It says the mind gradually adapts itself to the subjects upon which it is allowed to dwell. And I believe that this was what was happening for me. I was so saturated in the things of the world, I was saturated in the, the sin that the world had brought into my life and that I had welcomed in, so I was blinded to receiving the light that I was now receiving from the Adventist neighbors that we had moved in next door to and started studying with. 
my sister was choosing Jesus, being baptized and walking in one direction, and I was walking in the other. You know, I was about 15 years old when I came out as bisexual, coming out to the world and saying, this is how I am and you can't change it, and who I am was the biggest part of the sentence. It wasn't just what I did behind closed doors and the privacy of my own bedroom. It was who I was. It was my, my persona. And I think that's why so many people who struggle with same-sex attraction have such a hard time coming out of it. Because not only is it a stronghold sin, this bondage that is so hard to break free from, but it becomes your identity. You base who you are upon it. And that was what was happening for me. Fifteen years old was when it started. By the time I was 17, I moved away from home, and I dropped out of school, and music became my idol. Now, I say that music was my idol because music was the thing that I turned to when I should have been turning to God. When my friends let me down, when I was confused, when I was upset, when I was angry, those strong feelings come in, I turned to my music because my music was always there for me. My music made me feel better. <laughs> but really it just encouraged those negative feelings that I wanted to be free from. And as I started to allow this music to come into my mind, I started to develop a taste for the music of the world and, and the, the music that I gravitated towards was darker and darker, and by beholding, I became changed. Uh, image, it would be called number two here, is the person that I became as I was about... 18, 19, 20. In my younger years, I started to dress the part. Extravagant hair, makeup, and dress became my way of life. I wanted to be art because that was the only thing that really made sense to me anymore. And the music was a gateway drug. Music really can be a drug. For many people, it is. Music was my gateway drug into the world and it was yielding a very satanic crop in my life. I began to wear devil horns, uh, at first to concerts and parties, but eventually just to the supermarket on a Tuesday afternoon or walking down the street because this was my persona. And I didn't believe in God or Satan anymore, so why would it be a big deal to joke about it and to joke about the silly Christians that actually believed in it? There's a quote in Mind, Character, and Personality. She calls it the degrading process. It says, the mind of a man or woman does not come down in a moment from purity and holiness to depravity, corruption, and crime. It takes time to transform the human to the divine or to degrade those formed in the image of God to the brutal or the satanic. This was what was taking place in my life. Why? The next words say, because by beholding we become changed. I was being made into the image that was ever before me. I was struggling with anxiety attacks, eating disorders, multiple drug addictions. I was dabbling in witchcraft, so I was seeing shadows crawl and hearing voices. You know, when I was younger, there was a turning point in my life where I sat down on the couch and I thought, I don't have to listen to what everybody tells me I need to do. I can do whatever I want. I can be crazy if I want. What's the worst thing that could happen? Now I was experiencing what could happen. It was a very dark and scary place in that wilderness where I had walked very far from God. It was enslaving there. And I wanted to change. I was desperate for change. 
I had this aching void inside of me that, that I tried to fill with anything and everything from the world. The parties didn't do it, the drugs didn't do it, the girlfriends didn't do it, the boyfriends didn't do it. And every time I tried to fill that space that only Jesus can fill, I just sensed the emptiness more and more and more. And one day, I was thinking about my life. I was thinking about this desire for change. And this thought, this still small voice came into my mind, and it said, Danielle, you have got to change or you're going to die. And I knew this was a call from the divine that I needed to make a change, but I didn't know how. So I decided I was going to move out into the country with my dad, get away from the city, and that was the first change that I made. God impressed one change upon my heart that I could make, and then he led me to make another change and another change and another as I started to become sober and get away from the drug addictions, and I started to go vegan, mostly for animal rights reasons. You know, I, I said, I'm going to save the world one chicken at a time if that's the best I can do. But as I was making these little steps, my mind was becoming clearer. And even though I was calling God by the wrong name, even though I was searching for the divine, looking for love in all the wrong places, and my quest for knowledge in the new age searched through all different types of religions of the world and, and new age healing modalities and everything in between, even though I was calling God by the wrong name and looking in all the wrong places, he was hearing my prayers. And as far as my prayers fit into his will, he was honoring those prayers, and he was moving me uh, gently in the direction that I needed to go to be able to receive more light. And I know that God was able to speak into my life, into my heart, in the darkest place of my experience, because my mother and my sister were earnestly praying for me. And so if you only remember one thing from my testimony, don't let it be the devil horns and the, you know, the crazy dark point. Let it be that the thing that shifted my experience was the earnest and consistent and fervent prayers of the people that loved me. And not only do I recognize that in my experience, but so do every single one of my colleagues in Coming Out Ministries, that it was the prayers of our family that, that invited God, who's a perfect gentleman and will never force himself upon us, into our lives when we needed him the most. So my sister could see that my heart was softening a little bit because before, when I was running around with devil horns on, I didn't want to talk about God at all, but now I'm talking about spiritual things. And her husband was going to be going out to the Black Hills Health and Education Center to do an internship on the farm. So because their family was going out there, she invited me to go with them. It was a challenging decision, but to make a long story short, I ended up going, expecting to be there for six months, but I was there for three and a half years. And it was there that I sincerely met the man named Jesus. I met that man through, the, through his spirit manifest in his children. There was one man in particular that really, really caught my attention. His name is Dan Gabbert, and he's the spiritual counselor there. And every time we would cross paths and we'd exchange words, I would walk away from him, and I was so impressed by the gentleness and the kindness and this joy and this peace that just flowed out of him, and I wanted that kind of spirit. And I thought, I don't know what's working for that man, but I want it too. 
And so one day I decided I was going to go to church when I knew he was speaking, not because I was interested in the gospel, because I wasn't, but because I wanted to know what was working for him. So I sat down in the church in the very back, hoping no one would notice me, and I was just kind of drawing on my little drawing pad there, and he said, today we're going to talk about the crucifixion. And in my mind, I thought, oh, the crucifixion, why that, anything but that. Because when I thought about God, I thought about light and love and peace and joy. I didn't want to think about death and war and tribulation and the crucifixion like I read about in the Bible. But then the next thing he said was, and maybe you're thinking, oh, the crucifixion, why that, anything but that. And when he said what I had just thought, I knew that God was about to speak to me. And he started to describe sin. That when we transgress the law of God, we are separated from him. And because he's the source of all life, if we're separated from him, the natural occurrence is death. And so, by choosing sin, we deserve that death. But if we will choose Jesus and we will accept the sacrifice he has freely given, then Jesus bridges the gap for us to come back to God in eternal life. This message shook, my, shook me from the very core of my being, and it wouldn't let me go. All day I was wandering around just praying to God, walking around the hills, praying out loud, and just trying to reconcile this beautiful life with all of the understanding spiritually that I had that it conflicted with. But that was when I finally decided I would give Christianity another chance. And God brought many other people to minister to me and, and to teach me. Chad and Fadia Cruiser with Anchor Point Films were especially prominent in teach me a lot, teaching me a lot of the things that I learned. But when Tom Meyer from Little Light Studios came with his family and they were working on a film, they developed a friendship with me. And when he left, he left me five DVDs of the documentaries that he makes with his ministry. And I watched the documentary called Magic Kingdom. It was about Disney. Who could have imagined that God was about to totally shatter my earth, as it were. I was not ready for the profound truth that was going to come from it. My guard wasn't up, right? Because God uses the simple things to profound the wise. I had professed myself to be wise. I'd become a fool. And and God needed to use something very simple to get into my heart. And so he did from this simple documentary. The first thing that stuck out was, Disney says, follow your heart, listen to your heart. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I knew that I couldn't trust my own judgment. I'd had enough experiences to know that. So why am I trying to figure out God and the universe all on my own? Was the thought that came into my mind after I was hearing this. Then it started talking about spiritualism and witchcraft and occult symbology in Disney. And I thought that this was very unlikely, being that I was very interested in all of these things. But then I started thinking about the storylines. And my two favorite movies growing up were filled, with my, were filled with the two spiritualisms that I was most interested in as an adult. I thought maybe these movies did have an impact on the way I viewed spiritual things. But then it started talking about how Disney portrays the woman's body. Whether it's an old movie or a new one, they have the very highly hourglass, curvy figure and the coy and seductive facial expressions and overly sensual body language. This documentary was saying that presenting this notion of femininity to a young child's mind is simply unhealthy and inaccurate to teach them what femininity is. 
But there came that still small voice again as I was watching this part of the documentary, and it said, Danielle, you've been programmed from a young age to view life the way that you do, to view spirituality the way that you do, and to view sexuality the way that you do, to view the woman's body the way that you do. And it's not my plan for your life for you to be a lesbian. Because at that point, I wasn't only identifying as bisexual. That hadn't worked out very well, as you can imagine. It was a very messy uh, track record. And so I thought, well, I must be a lesbian. Maybe that will actually work. And through this simple documentary, the Holy Spirit, nobody could have imagined, spoke these powerful words to me, and my heart was broken. I finally was willing to accept God's will for my life instead of my own. And nobody knows how the Holy Spirit can come in and do that, but he does. And for me, it was a very, very powerful experience. You know, some people ask me, do you think that people are just born gay? Did you choose to be gay? And I say, well, I didn't choose my temptations. I don't think any of us really do. You know, God, if I'm going to be tempted, can we choose this, this, and this? I don't think any of us had that conversation. But even though we don't choose our temptations, when the temptations do come in, we make a choice. Are we going to turn and indulge in those temptations or not? So we don't choose our temptations, but there is a choice in the matter. And this was what I finally came to understand. And I finally came to realize that, that Satan is real. The great controversy is real. And that I'm not safe unless I'm with Jesus. And this was when I truly started to surrender my heart to him. I started to develop a relationship with him that I didn't have when I was little and I was baptized. I started to interact with him through his word and spend, have conversation with him through prayer. And I'd started to develop a trust for him. And love blossomed out of that trust. And when we have a love in our hearts for God, commitment and sacrifice naturally flow out of that love. It isn't something that we need to fabricate it's something that God places in our heart, and it flows out of us for everyone around us to experience as well. So after, uh, or the day that I was baptized, this would be photo number four, all day before my baptism, I wore a white dress, and all day after my, or I'm sorry, all day before my baptism, I wore a red dress, and all day after my baptism, I wore a white dress, because I wanted everyone to know that 1 John 1, 9 was mine to claim, that if I confess my sins, God was faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I said, Lord, today I want to enter into a new covenant with you. And I ask you to wash me clean, make me a virgin in your sight. Because I can't keep myself pure. I tried. <laughs> but Lord, with my hand in yours, you can. And this was the new experience that I entered into with him. After my baptism, God started opening up doors for me to share my testimony locally at first, and then he'd move me to a new area, and I'd speak there a few places, and he moved me around quite a bit for a year or two. And while I was still at the Black Hills before I left, there was this morning that I was, I'd, I'd watched a sermon by David Ashrick, and it moved me. It was so powerful, and I was weeping. And I just fell on my knees, and I said, Lord, you know that I want to do public speaking. That was what I had an interest in doing. Uh, before I became a Christian. Lord, you know that I want to do public speaking, but I want you to use me to do whatever you want me to do if I can do it with this kind of Holy Spirit power. 
I saw the Lord moving through that message so powerfully to move my heart, and I said, Lord, I want you to use me to move the hearts of men to come to know you and understand who you are more clearly, like I have seen through this message. And whatever it is for me to do, I don't want to try and make it happen anymore. Lord, I'm just going to trust you that you will do it. And so I laid that baby on the altar, right? And that was when things really started moving forward. And I started speaking more. I said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll say what you want me to say. I didn't really talk about sexual purity at that time because we don't really talk about that, right? I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I prayed that prayer, I'll go where you want me to go, right? <laughs> and I went to GYC one year, and I ended up at the Coming Out Ministries booth. I started having a conversation with my colleague, Wayne, and... Through the course of the conversation, I ended up sharing some of my testimony with him. And he said, wow, would you be willing to, to share your testimony with us sometime? And I, and I said, oh, I'll pray about it. And I'm thinking, no way. Not this, Lord. Not anything but this. <laughs> but you know what? God remembered the prayer that I had prayed. And I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to confirm it to me, and you're going to have to open up the doors. And you know what? He's been doing that ever since. And I've been working with them for the last two years, and it has been such a blessing for me. God knows exactly what we need to go through, right? Sometimes we need to be humbled to speak about something we don't necessarily feel that comfortable speaking about. But sometimes he has us in a very different position. So for you today, I just want to ask you, is God calling you into a ministry experience for him? Maybe you've said, no way, Lord, not that. You kind of dig in your heels, right? But I can tell you from my experience that no matter what it is, if God is calling you into it, he has a plan greater than you could ever fathom. God has showed me so much through this ministry has built my faith so much as he has led us into the speaking engagements he's brought us around the world and he has now helped us to develop a film that we will be releasing in september of our testimonies that we pray will go out to many many people that maybe would never come to our meetings it's been powerful and profound so keep an eye out for that journey interrupted film that's coming out these are the kind of things that god does he moves for us in ways that we don't foresee happening so I just want to close here together as we all have a season of prayer. And so I want to invite you to turn to the person next to you if you're sensing that conviction to, to respond to God in ministry in ways that he's calling you into bigger things and you haven't had the courage to do it. Let's pray and surrender, surrender our talents and time to the Lord today. So we'll have a brief season of prayer. You can pray with someone um, together now and I'll pray up here and then I'll close after a few minutes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you so much for leading each of our paths here to ASI. I believe that you wanted to speak to each person here this morning because I've been praying you would send the people that need to hear this message. And so, Lord, there's so many people in this world that are lost in darkness, especially in sexual sin of various forms. But, Lord, as homosexuality and gender confusion becomes so prevalent in our world, there are many, many people who are confused. They're, they're 
in bondage to sin, Lord, and they need the light of the cross. I know that there are many people here who know people and love people who are struggling with sexual sin and and homosexuality and same-sex attraction. Lord, make us lighthouses to the people that we love. And for those of us who are being called into a deeper ministry experience for you, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness to go forward in your spirit, Lord, not in our own strength, not in our might or our power, but by your spirit, Lord, to do a work that only you can do. Thank you for what you will do as a result of these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.